Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who totally breathes rocks. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and dude, if you're lucky, if you're willing, you can fall on top of a rock and discover by accident that uh, it releases oxygen while burning, because that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like, <sighs> Adam this movie <laughs> i it did give me an opportunity to talk about science with my oldest son for yeah. fucking almost two hours so good. that was fun good uh because he kept going wait a minute dad does that work and i'm like nope is that real nope it was it was fun and then i got to explain reality versus what apparent wait what year did this come out for real I didn't even look, but I meant to. So here's here's the thing. Uh, this came out um, in, uh, oh goodness, uh, 1964. Okay. Uh, and it, it premiered in June in 1964. By the end of the year, uh, the first Mars probe, or the first pro- space probe to capture images of Mars, right. would be there. Uh, mm, that's unfortunate. Bad luck. Bad timing for them. Theoretically, in a lot of ways, this is scientifically accurate to the. I, I get that to the and, knowledge confirmed at the time. Right. I I talked to my son about the fact that I we we did have a conversation about what people thought was true versus yeah. what we know to be the case now, based on just how much more data we have. Right. I am um, a big fan of Mars on Fire, though. <laughs> big, big fan of that. And then, can I ask a question, Adam? I know we need to actually intro the movie, but like, what were the fireballs that just sh- not like? Actually, Adam, what the- was anything in this movie? <laughs> the fireballs that seem to be sentient beings at some points. Yeah, that like hunt people down and murder them. Yeah. What? Why? How? Uh, what? Pat, have you ever played the Doom video games? I have. Uh, I'll remind you that the plot of Doom is that a a Mars colony uh, accidentally tapped into some sort of hell dimension. Yeah. Uh, I believe that this is a precursor to that idea. So you're really saying that they that Doom stole this? Yes. Yes. I'm okay with that. I think that that is a as a as a philosophy. Yeah, that makes it. That all checks out. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com. Zero hell demons. <laughs> Zero hell we will demons. not, no matter how much money you give us, we will not send you hell dimensional beings. <laughs> yeah, there uh, will be no sentient fireballs launched no. at your house. I no. promise. Absolutely. At least by us. Uh, right, well, yeah, okay. I can't, I can't if, promise. If other that things coincidentally happen, yeah. that is beyond our power yeah. to control. I mean, I'll try to stop it if it's within my power. Yeah. I will tell you that, too. Yes, we do. We not do just if you're that. in the Patreon, just in general. Yes. 
Thank you, Pat. That's very that's very kind of you to offer. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Um, we know that in these times it is uh, difficult for people to, so we are we are grateful, very grateful yes, for sure for the people who uh, who are willing to do that and able to do that. Uh, there are probably, as I say every week, better things to give your money to, uh, but we uh, we are grateful that some of you have chosen to give money to yeah, us. So, so some of you have not listened to Adam's hard sell to stop giving us money. <laughs> right. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. For just a dollar a month, we do a bonus episode over there. Uh, as of this recording, the most recent one was uh, about uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, oh, in so which good. Pat and I uh, explore interpretations of Willy Wonka as I a... Mean, as God. As God. A malevolent God. <laughs> as a malevolent God in a deterministic universe. Um, uh, because if 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 the universe is deterministic and there is a God, that God is malevolent. So it's just... For sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the there, there is a logic to that argument that uh, is hard to argue with. Yeah. Um, but a dollar a month gets you access to those bonus episodes, to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. It's always non-criterion films. Um, we uh, we try to have uh, guests over there a little more often. It's been a couple months since we had a guest over there as well. Yeah, well, it's t- tough to do guests unless yeah. they want to record from their house. Right, right. Cur- currently, it's very tough to uh, to get a guest because you have to have someone who uh, has the ability to... to uh, call in though increasingly everyone has the ability to call in at this point so um, right yeah a lot of people are getting real used to that right? yeah so. a lot of people getting into into video conferencing lately i mean apropos of nothing i'm sure uh yeah no unrelated to anything yeah. yes of course yeah. like totally just it's because it's the new craze that's sweeping <laughs> sweeping the nation yes, yes. uh bell bottoms yeah. and video conferencing sweeping the nation we uh we're very grateful. You also, for that dollar, get to vote on what we'll watch. I put together a list. Uh, sometimes I let the supporters put together a list. Uh, I'm pretty open to suggestions over there. Uh, and uh, we've had some real fun from user-generated lists, and we've had some real fun from uh, from the movies we've uh, we've ended up watching over there. Um, for a little extra a month, five dollars, uh, we do like to thank those supporters on air. Uh, that is literally the only thing they're paying $5 for is to hear their name on air. So uh, yeah, thank you to are. Christopher Otto for that $5 support. Uh, a little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on postcards and mail those off with a little thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. Uh, so thank you to Michael McGrath. Jason Westhaber, who are both long-term $10 and above supporters. And thank you to Adam Speakerman, who, as of this recording, just upped his donation to $10. Hope you, uh, by the time this actually goes to air, you should have already received your first postcard. So I hope you're enjoying those postcards. And, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, always thank you. That is patreon.com slash lostincriterion. So this week we... uh, we're we're coming off a string of just movies that are very much not this. Criterion yeah. Collection is very weird. Yeah, it's a very very weird collection. Yeah. Um, since the beginning of the year, we've talked about uh, Teshigahara's uh, trilogy of uh, Abe adaptations that are just 
hyper-political surrealist <laughs> movies. We've talked about uh, depressing uh, children in war films. We've mm-hmm. <laughs> we've talked about uh, the completely inscrutable Louis Bunel film, The Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the works of Jim Jarmusch. Uh, <laughs> last week, a very depressing... Uh, uh, Spanish post post Spanish Civil War political uh, uh, family drama, I guess. Crea yeah. Cuevos, and this week it's Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Yeah, like I swear to God, the Criterion Collection yeah. is fucking with us. Ryan like, Haskins, nineteen sixty four, indie made uh, sci fi film, and it is. <laughs> It is so. I I I, I, I got to give it props though for yeah. for an independently produced science fiction film from 1964. It's pretty well done. Yeah, like well for real. Like you and I like not in a lot of ways, but like production wise, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things that make this pretty good. Uh, the director. Uh, Byron Haskin is also the director of the uh, 1950s War of the Worlds. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a pretty great adaptation of War of the Worlds. Um, he brought back his designer, his miniature designer from that movie, Albert Nozaki, uh, to design the work here. Now, uh, for instance, the spaceships here are just the Martian tripods without their <laughs> With no legs. tripods, yeah. All yeah, right. I noticed but, that. But he did actually uh, physically make new models. They didn't just, like, reuse the old ones and paint them, <laughs> which would have wow. been would have been terrible to have done considering they're white in this and, like, I, I believe they're copper in uh, uh, yeah, War of the Worlds. Um, the, uh, yeah, I... Uh, uh, Lawrence Butler and uh, matte artist Albert Whitlock also um, also work on the special effects and the matte paintings here are uh, ridiculous but really well done. It's all chroma key, right? So they're filming right. they're filming in um, Death Valley in California, and while they're filming, the sky is so blue that they could just chroma key out. The entire sky. Yeah. No, it's fucking wild, man. Like <laughs> it's, and they do it a couple times because they get that like on the when they get to the art like the North Pole. Yeah, they chroma key out the whole like valley. Yeah, like there's like oh well this is all the same color. Goodbye. <laughs> it's red now. It's like yeah. wait what? Yeah, but but frequently whenever we see the sky, it is you know it's been chroma keyed yeah. out yeah. from the actual blue sky of of Death Valley. Uh, and it it definitely gives this otherworldly effect, and it's really, you know, we we talked briefly about the scientific accuracy of this film. That is accurate before we knew it was accurate. The first images right. of Mars and and its reddish ground and red sky would not be available for months after this. For right. for even yeah, no. the first on the ground probe. I think is even even years away at this point. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure about the yeah the atmospheric color stuff. I think probably yeah. even comes later. Yeah, but like, 
Well, it's just, it's interesting because, like, I, I mean, obviously, like, all joking aside, they get a lot of stuff, what we know is wrong now. But that right. that's irrelevant to okay science fiction storytelling. That's fine. Um, it's fascinating because, um, like, it is, in many ways, there's a lot of beautiful stuff going on. And, and I wonder if, I, I jokingly thought to myself at the beginning, like, I wonder if this is in the collection because it has Adam West in it. Yeah. But then, like, and then you start thinking, like, ah, uh, maybe, like, they wanted to get something like War of the Worlds, but they can't, so they've got this. Or something, you know, it's it's interesting what makes, you never know what makes them choose. But yeah. then you start, like, looking at some of the science, the special effects, and some of them are not good, and some of them are amazing. And it's, like, they're, it's kind of a hodgepodge of them, but when they're amazing, they're really amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, there's some really cool looking stuff going on in here, and then there's some stuff that just de- like the models for the the aliens are not always effective, and they, they repeat the footage a lot, which is yeah. unfortunate because yeah. they it does look pretty cool. And the 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 slaver aliens are not. Uh, I mean, they're pretty clearly reused plot props from other. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Other science fiction stuff too. Um, interestingly to the scientific accuracy of this film, the original screenplay was written by Ib Jorgen, uh, Melchior, um, who was a Danish American novelist, short story writer, film producer and director and screenwriter for a lot of low budget science fiction, um, particularly released by American international pictures through the mid century. Um, he, uh, he directed The Angry Red Planet and Time Travelers uh, in 59 and 64, respectively. Uh, he wrote the original screenplay here um, with uh, the hope of directing it himself uh, and put in just uh, a lot of like scientific notes. In fact, uh, some of this is on the Criterion DVD, as far as I know, um, of his original notes of the science scientific aspects of this. Now, of course his, uh, his original script also included a lot of like space monsters on Mars. Right. Of course. Um, but at the, at the time, really, ideally, uh, you know, we can, we can argue about, uh, when and who believed in the possibility of life on other planets in our solar system, but it was not a discommon belief even among, educated people yeah no i mean you can that, you you that, read about the idea that there might be life yeah, on mars maybe a, for quite a long yeah, time maybe yeah, a I civilization mean, doesn't exist at this point but but flowing water plant and animal life probably does exist on mars yeah in in 1950 <laughs> in the 1950s and early 60s uh so so he's got a lot of notes on on the scientific accuracy of this but it's much more of an adventure film uh whereas right. Uh, he had to drop out to work on something else, I think, to maybe to work on the Time Travelers, um, and uh, ended up uh, uh, selling off the uh, the rights, or 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 the the script was picked up by John C. Higgins, <coughs> who rewrote it into this uh, more more of a. I assume that that original script was not quite as much Robinson Crusoe. I right, mean, th- right. 
especially when you consider how much this this script what we got was not Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> right. Like but it's still a lot about the loneliness of Robinson Crusoe. Right. I think Whereas the, the you, first version yeah. of the script uh focused on more of the adventure of Robinson Crusoe. Right. And this this focused more on the dealing of loneliness in Robinson Crusoe, which are both things that exist in the original novel, right? right? Yeah. Um uh, Yeah, it, I mean the difference would be like yeah, I mean it, it, and hey, either is a is its own sort of choice, right? Because of the nature of that of that book. Yeah. But um, this one, this one did keep the aspect of the original Robinson Crusoe, where Robinson Crusoe himself is a slaver. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I, I was surprised by that choice. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, we're going. Wow, we're. We're doing this, huh? We're gonna... Oh, I realize I've just rescued from slavery. By the way, if you uh, mess with me or don't listen to everything I tell you to do, I'm going to call your former slave owners. And uh, yeah, totally. but actually, I probably you back into slavery. I probably have only read uh, Robinson Crusoe as a uh, abridged young adult, same, or young, same here, young but kids I mean, classics yeah. thing. Yeah, same here. Uh, so, uh, so I was in comparing the movie to the plot. I reread a plot synopsis of uh, of the original yeah, Robinson too. Crusoe. I was and like, "Oh shit!" Did not realize just how much slavery is in Robinson Crusoe. Where yeah, he... it's it's really fascinating how much that ki- those kids' editions yeah. don't include the. I mean, like for obvious reasons, but I mean, like this, the stuff with Friday period is its own thing, right? Right. But but the fact that in the original book, uh, he uh, he survives a f- a first shipwreck, and sells the only other survivor as a slave yeah, to a Portuguese like, yeah, sea it's captain. Madness! The whole thing is madness, and it's is like, basically what? Re- rewarded with a plantation in Brazil, uh, which is what in the end he has learned all his lessons about survival. Uh, is uh, back in Europe with Friday discovers that his father thinking he was dead wrote him out of the will so he is penniless in Europe but thank god uh that uh that plantation Still got that in Brazilian, Brazil, plantation, that Brazilian yeah. plantation all these lessons about humanity he's uh, learned were definitely not about not enslaving people in Brazil <laughs> right which yeah, he it's, is it's he was rewarded madness. for having done at the end of the novel well and that and like what that makes you think like it, you, okay, we don't. We probably don't want to spend the entire episode talking about Robinson Crusoe, but like, I want you to think about the fact that a bunch of people, like a substantial number of human beings on this earth, have decided. Well, if we just cut out all the slavery bits, this book is probably good for children. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, number one, that's not the same book anymore, right? Uh, so how about we just not like? Why do we need this book? Like, is what you start getting down to, right? Like, yeah. And that's, I think, an, it's a. And then, why do you need to make movies like Robinson Crusoe on Mars? Yeah. Like, that are kind of sort of Robinson Crusoe and still have some fun slavery bits in there. Yeah. Now, of Just, course. You know, for, for flavor. Also, later this very year that this movie came out, uh, What If Robinson Crusoe Had Friends uh, premiered on, uh, on CBS, Gilligan's Island. Aired its first episode September right, twenty yeah, sixth of this true. year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, with I a nineteen sixty three. I don't. I have not watched a lot of Gilgan's uh, Island le- episodes, but I think there's a significantly less 
percentage of slavery in there. Not a lot of slavery going on in the Gilligan's Island universe, as far as I recall, though it wouldn't yeah, surprise me. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yes, I don't think there's a lot, I, you know, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I it's it's just very weird. Like, I don't, like, why did, I was really disappointed by our main character in this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he, like, at first you're like, ah, it's not, it doesn't seem so bad. Like, I mean, he's just walking around, doing stuff. And then, like, he actually meets another human being. I'm like, you're kind of not a nice person. Yeah. Why are you like yeah. this? When he actually, actually oh. meets Friday, and and calling him Friday is its own thing to me. Right, it's its own like, dehumanization, right? right? Because it's like, oh, you don't get a name. You yeah. get what I call you, yeah. which is already a very monstrous thing to do right. to someone else. Now, now, of course, you know, we don't deal with the cannibalization aspects of the original Robinson Crusoe. So and that's nice. That. I'm glad so I'm glad nice. that we've decided to avoid that part. Yeah. Um, before we meet Friday, I, I have in my notes, oh, I guess it has to get a little racist at some point uh, when he builds a uh, builds a bagpipe and immediately starts playing Dixie for some reason. <laughs> right. I... <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, but yeah. Well, okay. Can we can we get down to something that that has to be talked about specifically in this discussion? Yeah. Which is the fact that he. I'm going to ask you a question. Now. Okay. Let's say you find yourself on another planet. Yes. There are no people there. You're alone. You and your monkey. And like, do you hang up an American flag and then salute it every morning? <laughs> Theoretically. Like, Listen, within the within the confines of this being a 1950s era or 1960s era sci-fi, uh, the near future space exploration is an aspect of the United States Air Force, if not I get the United that. States government. I, it was the Navy. It was the yeah. Navy in this. So the fact, the Air Force, yeah, yeah I, was the Air Force even separate from the Navy at this point? I don't think so. I, not I yet. don't. I don't remember when that happened. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, what I'm saying is part of his maintaining of his own humanity is maintaining the uh, the power structures that he was a part of previously. And that right, includes... And I get that. That includes the American flag here. I get that. But I want I want to I want to point out that 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 when you're making your science fiction movie, that's a choice. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Like you're making an explicit choice to make him hyper patriotic. Right. Because he, you have to sh- a choose to show that in your movie, which is it's not necessary, right? Like it, there's no no part of that is a part like of the actual storytelling. Uh, it's just a thing he does one time. Yeah, uh, it's like that's a that's it's still for me kind of a wow like wow you just chose to just have that in your movie, right? Did this guy like. Like, so, so he's a, literally on a planet by himself. A flip side of that, then, can we write off his interactions with Friday as the movie trying to tell us he's lost his humanity because it's it's post hallucinations, right? Oh, I mean, it could all. I mean, okay. Well, we could. Yes, it's it is. Fully is that, possible. Is that, that part of, that of him happens. trying to? Is that is that aspect him trying to maintain social hierarchy as he is familiar with it, 
or reinstating slavery because he has lost American values at that point? That's a good question. I was leaning more towards the idea of like, I, I was more thinking like in terms of like just explicitly like um, meta commentary that's unintended by our oh, yeah, creator. Absolutely. That like in the sense that like, oh, pa- all, all of these power structures are essentially a form of slavery and <laughs> he has to create it because that's the American way is to have right non-slavery explicit higher hierarchies that are definitely just recreations of slavery that uh that that is a third option uh, <laughs> just like accidentally yeah. creating that because yeah. like oh i want to i want to demonstrate that he holds on to his american values on this planet i know i'll create a stand in for slavery <laughs> <laughs> right right um I also love that all of those alien slaves, we immediately know are slaves because they're dressed as act- actors from uh, extras from Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> it, there are there are a lot of choices being made in this <laughs> right, movie. OK, right. they're all it is. It is. I I got it. I wonder, oh man. Oh, boy. This this movie. Like, I want you to think for a minute with me, Adam. OK. About the idea so you're making this movie and you're like, I need to tell everybody that these people are slaves. But at some point, probably within like the last two years, like five years of your life, somehow maybe it dawned on you that you couldn't just have African-American actors do that because that would be like a bridge too far. Yeah, but but playing our main slave is a white actor who has become famous as playing uh, uh, Native Americans. That's what I'm saying. So, so, okay, that's where I was going with this. Is yeah. so you instead decide to do a pretty bad makeup job that kind of leans some sort of indigenous person, but then put them in sort of pseudo Hebrew outfits. Yeah, during enslavement, yeah. like it's like what, like. Like I said, there are a lot of choices being made in this movie. Yeah. Like a lot of them. And a lot of them are pretty wow. Like you dis- this is what you decided, huh? Like you Okay, sure. <laughs> this is I mean, I guess that was a choice you had available to you. <laughs> this is some wild ass shit happening in this movie, man. Like Yeah, I don't know. It's just it, there's a lot. There's just so this movie is just a lot. Um, another thing that's worth thinking about is the fact that like, who buried the guy he finds buried out in the dirt? Uh, theoretically, one of the other. Because uh... we don't see any evidence that that is actually possible. Right, that they would have had the time to have done so. Right. As far as we can tell in the timeline, they're brought there. If any of them try to leave, they're they essentially blow up the planet. It seems like an an over response to that situation, I would like to point out. Um because like that's a lot of firepower to bring to bear to shoot a guy. Yeah. Who's just sort of walking around. Uh but beyond that, so you can't leave. And as far as we can tell, they just abandon them and let them die of oxygen deprivation as their method of just not having to take them home. Well, considering this guy was actively murdered, right? 
It implies right. it, it implies so who buried him? Yeah, it's a previous set, and possibly therefore someone who is murdered as the slavers were leaving, and the rest of the slaves, uh, the the other enslaved people, uh, before they succumbed to oxygen deprivation, buried this guy. I guess so. I mean, I guess that's the only explanation. But like as the story unfolded, I my brain kept just hopping back to the, like I was like that. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, what I've just seen within the logic of the movie itself just doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah. Now, the other thing is I don't necessarily know that the uh, aliens have a normal uh, uh, ebb and flow sort of use of Mars here, right? It is his escape. Uh Upon his escape, they murder everyone else, basically, right? Well, I uh, don't. I, I, I was confused but, about whether or not his escape directly that. led to the murder, yeah. or whether or not that was just the way they deal with this shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's where that gets. We need some some slight other world building because a burial implies that they have been allowed some amount of cultural stuff. Going on, right? Right. Uh, which is, uh, you know, not that it doesn't make the enslavers good guys to allow that. But. Uh, right. But we also just get no evidence that that would be true anyway. Right, like right. that's, I mean. So, yeah. I mean, as as a plot point of discovering this guy, dead body before he interacts with the actual slaves. Uh, I guess it makes sense. Like this is the first. Clue. I mean, it makes sense to tell the story. Yeah. It's I found it very yeah. like. This is I the mean, first. Clue I'm not exactly of, super wrapped up in the world, but like nonetheless, I was yeah. like, "Wow, that was odd." This is the first clue of uh, of animal life on Mars, right? And and his first clue of animal life is clearly a cultural icon. It's it's right. uh, it's a grave. It's a literal grave. It's got a headstone, and it's got a skeleton that's not just. A skeleton, but it's it's uh, wearing bracelets, matching bracelets that imply some sort of binding, even if you couldn't necessarily assume that as as a uh, from an anthropological or archaeological yeah, no, I mean, standpoint. there's there's all kinds of problems in that direction right. <laughs> right. anyway in this movie, right? But it, he's it, yeah, I mean, that, those bracelets don't tell you a lot, <laughs> right? Other than like the person was wearing bracelets, yeah. Um, but they are a pair of black metal bracelets, which again yeah, doesn't I tell mean, you a lot. I, I would argue that about the only thing it would actually tell you is that like this is a thing that can create right. things, yeah. which means right. it has some sort of uh, higher thinking, yeah. right? There, because it can make things. Yeah. Uh, his report says, "Well, this uh, this thing was clearly murdered, and and that's probably accurate." Um, yeah, we don't we don't see an autopsy, but he does yeah. give yeah he does give a description yeah. of what uh, something that makes sense. I don't so. think he does. He describe the the skeleton as having been enslaved in some way. Does he mention the I bracelets don't think so. at all? No, I don't think so. I think so he's not that's meant to be a clue assumption. for for the audience, right. and I he does not I think make that assumption right. until later, right? Uh, based on other evidence, so he has not jumped to the conclusion of it being a, a slave thing. Yeah. Uh, until he sees, I mean, like the video evidence that he collects is obvious, right? Like it's, 
it's you know that that you know that part's fine it it's i i i doubt the logic of his walking straight at the people who are blowing things up that seems like dubious decision making yeah like i understand wanting to know what's up but like i don't know if wanting to know what's up is worth walking straight at giant laser blasts um, they're clearly blowing up the mountainside. They're clearly at least an industrial area, and maybe he should find the safe entrance to the industrial area. Right. Yeah, he he seems to, mo- like, and I don't know. I still can't actually even figure out if it's, like, it. the blast seems so weapon-esque the f- that, like, it really took me a while to actually understand that, like, they were blowing up rocks, I yeah, guess, there's... for them to collect. Maybe uh, maybe Kit is just very familiar with their strip mining operations, so he can right. Recognize he's like, well, that. this is right. This is my other job <laughs> yeah. uh, at my plantation that I run. Yeah. Um, um, no, I just I don't know. Like I'm I'm it, I found that all very baffling. I was like, because that didn't look like even strip mining doesn't look like war, right? Like it is not in its not in its actual expression. Like when you look at strip mining taking place. It just doesn't look like war, and that looked like because we then later see that as be the effects for battle as well. Yeah, it is confusing for me, and I struggled with it for a pretty long time into this. Uh, yeah, into this movie, I was like, "Oh, they were mining. Yes. Oh, they weren't just shooting everything." Right, right. Which is kind of the implication that's going on, particularly with the way he keeps almost getting shot by it. Right. Because right. it, exactly. because of that part implies that there's not necessarily in a closed space that this mining is being uh, right. It, it is. It would be a ridiculous way to conduct your mining. Period. Now, of right? course, because it seems to be just be blasting randomly. Yeah. Uh, one reason that would be ridiculous if it happened, say, on Earth, is that Earth is habited, uh, whereas right. theoretically, well, but these they creatures... also appear to have their workers, including yeah. people who are not slaves, down there. Yes. In that area, so it still just appears like they're just shooting randomly. That's fair. That's fair. Seems a little dangerous, even even if you discount the fact that like they're probably not super worried about their enslaved population. Yeah, I assume they're like they've got an entire universe of people they could enslave, Pat. I no, I mean, I I'm I will I will submit to the possibility that they are not interested in the welfare of their enslaved population. Yeah. What I'm saying is, there also appears to be their own non-enslaved pop. Like the enslavers are also down there. Yes. So it seems very blasé to just be blasting not every a great fucking idea. mountain you find. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I again, I don't think that's they're an aspect. bad at their jobs, is what I'm the, saying. I don't understand yeah. why they're so bad at their jobs. Um, again, that's perhaps a subtle hint at uh, at just how evil these people are. They're not just enslavers; they're also uh, bad at their jobs. They're also bad at their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Okay, I want to like. Okay, this uh, we're gonna derail the fuck out of this podcast. Let's just do this. I a thing I need to always have trouble with in movies like this is yeah. If you are a interstellar population, okay, I'm talking you can fly across yes. the fucking universe, okay? We know that they can travel between the belt of Orion and Mars in a time that is not prohibitive yeah. to actually using it for industrial applications, okay? Yeah. You're telling me 
that the easiest way to get that job done is what we're seeing here. I understand that there will probably be some form of slavery even, like, in an interstellar population, okay? Yeah. Because, like, it just seems to be the, like, seems to be just part and parcel for the, for, like, sentient or sapient beings. I don't know why. But we don't have a lot of evidence of that. It's just us. But um, you're telling me that your best method of getting these rocks collected is to, like, like take a leg around this other planet, pick a bunch of people up that you have to then give air pills to, and then force them to collect rocks. You can't build anything that would do this for you without you having to... I don't, it's baffling to me when I see it in movies. Like, Baffling. You can fly across the galaxy. Aunalam. Well, Aunalam, the uh, the center star of Orion's Belt, is uh, two thousand light years from right Mars. So, like, <laughs> that's pretty far. Yeah. Um. So, first of all, this is your best source of resources. Okay, fine. Maybe these rocks are only on Mars. That seems unlikely. They are oxygen okay. generating rocks, Pat. Well, that's because, yeah, they're only on Mars because they make no sense. Uh, <laughs> they are surreal in their existence, uh, which I guess if you find a planet full of surreal things that make no sense, then yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, it's like the mattress planet, right? Yeah. Um, but like, what I'm saying is, like, you're telling me you can fly across the fucking galaxy, like at least you know, like two thousand light years in a reasonable amount of time. You're like. But you know who we need to pick up rocks? These fuckers over here. <laughs> right. Well, uh, presumably, uh, they are not the most powerful civilization in the known universe. So they, uh, they've they got to skirt around the edges as much as possible. Um, I'm just really surprised that this guy has figured out... Uh, where which, he is in the galaxy? Where he is from the... Yes, exactly. That, like how the so can, actually what that's telling me is despite his like what we're we see in this movie he probably comes from an extremely sophisticated civilization yeah Friday's a genius uh, yeah Friday's a fucking genius he's an astrophysicist <laughs> so is everybody else on this fucking planet yes who can just like be on Mars and be like over there <laughs> right that that one right there that one mm-hmm. yeah sure. It's almost impossible for you have to have seen it from this direction and know what it is. That's, right. <laughs> that's like inconceivable. Maybe, maybe while he was in the ship, he was making notes mentally of what turns they took. So <laughs> right, yeah, no, he he ran a piece of string, yeah. behind the ship the whole way, <laughs> uh, so he could find his way home. Yeah, like no, like I mean, I'm just there's chalk marks all over the fucking galaxy. <laughs> what I'm, what I'm saying though, it's like. Yeah, so there's that whole thing, right? Uh, Friday is a fucking genius. Um, it's only he's only struggling with language because human language is just so childish and simplistic that it's like learning to speak dog or something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's like you see it in other science fiction movies, and I and yeah, it's just as dumb there as it is yeah. here. 
Pat, I think like, I want to build an allegory for this human problem. So I'm going to like make an extremely sophisticated civilization that yeah. does this thing that doesn't make the, any sense. Uh, the issue here is that you are too familiar with good sci-fi writing. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, I need to, I need to, I should have hit myself over the head yes. before I, before I watched this movie. Mid, mid-century popcorn sci-fi flicks. And we've seen good ones as part of the Criterion Collection. And yes, we've we seen have. very bad ones as part of the Criterion Collection, too. Yes, we have. So, mm-hmm. Yes, we have. So this one just sort of is. And, you know, it's something. Yeah, it's just, it's just somewhere in the... It's really yeah. actually just floats around somewhere in the middle. I just... Because it decided to, to co-op Robinson Crusoe, yeah. which fits into another era of bad writing, which is, you know... White, I guess, was that white savior adventure novels. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's. Um, I was trying to figure out how to like say that in a way that made sense as a statement. The noble yeah. savage era, of, which which was itself uh, much longer than this. <laughs> like Robinson Crusoe is not not the first or the premier example. No, God, no, no. So, but like, it's a it is a good example. Of yeah. It. Like, I mean, if you want to like compile an example of ones that still seem to exist in our society today for some fucking unknown reason. Yeah. Robinson Crusoe is on the list. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, it's like, so you're like, okay, what what am I going to use as my source material? Ah, yes, a racist book. Let's <laughs> do that. Listen, it wouldn't be the first or last time. Tarzan, somebody wrote a science Tarzan got updated novel. a lot through this. No, <laughs> through Tarzan this still gets period. updated, and so, it is baffling yeah. to me. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Robinson Crusoe and Tarzan both fit into a fun little category where. The modern iterations are so far divorced from what the basic story is. Yeah. In order to that like at some point somebody basically just wrote the whole fucking thing again. And has done that multiple times because to to strip the intense amount of white savior racism out, like you could have just wrote your own book, man. Yeah. Like but just stop updating it. Just write your own book about it. Like it's fine. But at that's this point. you know that's You've not already a, done that. Basically, that's not a concept we've escaped from either, though, right? Rocky is a no, Rocky God, is no, a white savior not, film. No. So absolutely, you're it's, you're totally right. It's absolutely yeah. Like you're a hundred percent right. And 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 but the funny thing is, is that the kids' iterations of these books that are about white savior stories tend to strip that part out because somebody somewhere in the line is fucking self-aware strip aspects of that out but without fundamentally changing the power dynamics within the book well uh, i mean yeah i mean i've seen enough robinson crusoe iterations that literally have no cannibals in them at all right like where they just strip out the entire native population entirely yeah but friday which is its own different thing friday still doesn't have almost always friday still exists that's true you're right I have not seen a lot of iterations of uh, yeah. Robinson Crusoe, and the, but and like, the the Christianization and the Friday's an idiot because he can't speak English aspects of right. it. Right? Yeah, those parts are yeah, yeah. Like like I said, I've not seen a lot of Robinson Crusoe. I'm trying to think like what I have seen. Yeah, and I think I've seen ones meant for very little children. That's possible. Did that have a Friday like, in it? <laughs> Were they, were they I, friends? I think Friday was, well, what they end up doing is Friday ends up being like a local animal or something, which kind of changes the tenor of that a little bit, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, well, he does He does so have if, a If Friday is a lizard, then things yeah. change dramatically. He does have a parrot uh, in the original novel, which I guess gets replaced by the Echo guy in uh, in this. 
But no, obviously the monkey's supposed to be the replacement for his animal buddy. Right. But uh, well, it's not a, it's not also a very like true like uh, adaptation of um, right, right. There's no one Robinson for one Crusoe thing here anyway. either, right? Yeah. Which thank God but, there's not. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Well, that's a whole nother thing, right? Like that's getting into some sort of weird Robinson Crusoe parody at that point, yeah. which. I guess if you if you you could do that also, you could just make a thing that just blankly just tells people how bad Robinson Crusoe is. <laughs> I don't think like, anyone's you know ever I mean? you been could make that interested thing, I guess, too. in the Robinson Crusoe is actually a bad guy adaptation of Robinson Crusoe, <laughs> but maybe it I does mean, exist, and I'm just not not familiar. I bet there's a there's an evil Robinson Crusoe in uh, in some sort of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, episode somewhere, probably. But, uh, uh, speaking of the monkey, real quick though, I did learn on Wikipedia that uh, uh, the monkey, who is only credited as the woolly monkey because it is uh, named Mona on screen, but played by a Barney. Uh, so anytime the monkey is not in its space, like what? I, can I ask you a question? They, Why was that necessary? I don't know. They really, they really Were they did not want that people would be like that upset about it. I think they they didn't want a monkey penis on screen a lot, even though the monkey's usually in a spacesuit anyway. Uh and then, uh, and then for some reason they really like I don't know Lassie. Everyone Lassie was was hidden despite the fact that it was played by a, a male dog. No one, no one right. wanted to admit that. But the really but, fun like, part of this, can you explain? I want you to explain that entire concept to me. <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking for deeper answers Listen, here, Adam. Why right, do Pat. people care what sex a dog is or a monkey is? Children. Particularly the male children who are your your uh, profit drivers for action films like this uh, would not have related to a female monkey. So oh, I see. Uh, so it's really about relating to. So you're like, oh well, I can see myself in that in that monkey in that monkey suit. Um, mm. the original screenplay, uh, uh. Mel Choir's original original concept for the animal buddy uh, was a Martian creature that would have been played by a costume armadillo. Oh, I love it. Why They totally fucked this movie yeah. up. Uh, but according to Wikipedia, and I, I haven't explored the citation here, but there is one, uh, a monkey was deemed more believable and easier to train. <laughs> well, I, okay, the second part Obviously. I'm up for because, like, oh, yeah, we tried to train this armadillo. It didn't go so well. Seems like a thing that would happen. Yeah. Um, mostly just make this thing walk towards the food, please. <laughs> um, but then again, the monkey does not do a lot of No, it does not. Stuff. It does not. I was expecting the monkey to play a much larger role in the um, in the sort of storytelling here, and he's kind of useless. She. Well, wait, I'm getting confused, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So yeah, the the fact that we couldn't let the monkey be known to be male, um, I don't I don't know. Well, yeah. we would we would we would emasculate the monkey at that point, and we can't have that. <laughs> I guess the monkey's got to be. A what, woman how on would the monkey feel about himself? Um, I don't know. At least it being a lady monkey, our main character never tries to have sex with it, so that's great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Good point. Good point. (laughs) 
I don't know. It's it's very the whole monkey thing and its insistence on it is very weird. Is um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, here's the thing. Like when you like well, kind of what I was trying to get at earlier was like when you diverge this much from your sort of base story, what's the point? Right. Why why, not why just hold on write, to those why aspects even of it? Do this anymore? Why not just write your own movie about a dude stuck on yeah. Mars? Don't like making an explicit reference to Robinson Crusoe at that point. Just like let it go. Yeah, but that's just make the movie you want to make. That's the particular aspect of a meta conversation we've already had in this in this episode and we have had frequently of when you are rejecting old ideas, why still be beholden to some of those old ideas? Right. Why, yeah. Why? Why, why does frame our main them character, in the context of those old ideas? Yeah, why does our main character reject or or maintain America and and his his power hierarchy here? And that's you know it's aspect of him maintaining what he understands to be his humanity. And because this is a fictional work, it means he's maintaining what our film directors believe to be uh, integral aspects of humanity. Right. right. And at least I I, I I refer to that in sort of my own way to just because I wanted to talk about how ridiculous I think that is. But at least I understand yeah. that. Like what I have struggled with much more significantly is the decision to just make this air quotes Robinson Crusoe. Uh, well, I listen, that's that's an old thing, too. The Swiss family Robinson was not named Robinson. It is it is named that because of the Robinson Crusoe parallel that they're trying to to maintain. Right, and right? I I don't, but I I don't, and I'm not. It's not this movie in particular yeah. that is extra guilty of this or something. I am baffled by that concept. Right, fundamentally, it's like if you're not gonna make the thing that you said you wanted to make, just make the thing you want to make. Then, like, you don't need like. Do you think that like they were able to get this made easier because it had the name Robinson Crusoe in it? I think the idea of marketing as this thing is like a thing you're already familiar with but different is very powerful. I guess so, but it seems like when you get far enough away then like that also you would hope, but that is not. Maybe bite you in the ass later? I don't know. There Clearly is Clearly not, but there is certainly at least a school of marketing idea that believes that to this day. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're right. It's yeah. just, I'm bad. I personally on a right. personal level am baffled by it because it's like at this point, what are you holding on to? We here? recognize it as dumb and it is dumb. Like what? Well, yeah. It's like, why are you are, you're is merely but, fingernails on the edge of this cliff that you are holding on to here. But you and I also accept an idea of making art for the sake of art existing and not true and not making a thing particularly in mind with with the idea that it has to make money so also true yeah so robinson crusoe in mars is robinson crusoe because it had to have a pool to get people well to watch it. i i would argue also that that not, not to actually like undermine my own point but keep in mind that like for some weird re- my father has ta- I've talked to my father about this in the past it's been a while but these sort of white savior like adventure movies or not movies but like stories regained a lot of popularity in the 50s and 60s 
like it seems like they experienced an uptick in popularity again like i think partially partially related to like comic books and stuff but like you saw a lot of reiterations of tarzan and things like that in the comic medium yeah post-world war ii and uh there seems to have been an actual uptick in like as these sort of being an alternative to westerns but still sort of having that same that same sort of feeling to them you know what i mean like that they all sort of share some dna at their heart uh that like was very popular at that time period so i wouldn't be surprised if in to a certain extent even beyond just general name recognition cashing in on robinson crusoe in a time period where my father would have been what like 12 years old or something like that that checks out that makes sense right like you're like you're trying to get a bunch of kids who were born in the 40s or 50s late 40s early 50s to go to the drive-in like you're you're cashing in on something that is like actually a cultural touchstone for some reason for them um is what I'm saying because yeah. like for some reason there was an, a noticeable up t- I like I say for some reason because I'm not ready to like try to deep dive into why that might be true uh, but these sorts of stories were very very popular in that era yeah there is also the aspect of that that uh, stories like this and like Robinson Crusoe are about colonialism and about encouraging the idea of European and American colonialism. Right. And the space race is about American colonialism getting there first. So, I don't know. This tale plays into ideas that are still active and were certainly active in the mid-60s. So, I don't know. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean... I'm not going to argue that this is like not a thing that people. I I'm just saying that these sorts of movies and this sort of the white or uh, white savior movies are not by yeah. any means gone. Right, they are still doing very well, staying strong. Uh, what I'm saying is is this framing of them, this specific version of them, has become yeah less acceptable. Right, like right. they they've they've had to sort of rebrand them to make them a little bit less now, maybe maybe a little less obvious now another aspect of the original Robinson Crusoe is that it uh, it also plays with the they do it to us if they could narrative in that right Crusoe is enslaved by a Moor uh, early on in the narrative um, and yeah it's <laughs> Robinson Crusoe is a bad Morally bad book. <laughs> yes. Robinson yes. Crusoe in Mars tries to make itself less morally bad, but I don't know if it can escape that baggage because culturally that baggage is still ingrained in the sort of story it's wanting to tell. Right. I, I think so, yes. I, I would agree with that. And then I also think that, like, you get to the, the constant sort of issue of, like, people's understanding of what part of it is bad Yeah, sort of slowly evolves, right? Like... You, this version of it is even not likely to be made now. Uh, but like we, you know, I we were talking. I was joking earlier about the fact that like, oh, well, like we know now we can't make it like someone who could be 
we can't make the Friday character be someone who's African American or something and imply yeah that sort of slavery. But like we can still there are certain groups that we can still use that are like still considered acceptable within the framework, right? Like we oh well we currently are in an era and have been for for some decades where uh prominent cultural uncultural touchstone points at least understand that uh these ideas need to be divorced from colonialism and cast away or the martian are still uh westerner overcomes nature man versus nature stories particularly from a western cultural uncultural standpoint that eliminate uh any semblance of an idea of natives castaway takes place on a very much absolutely deserted island yeah totally deserted island yes yeah the martian takes place on a very much absolutely deserted mars uh but even as this is indicative of even at this era uh we couldn't have a sci-fi movie that was just man versus nature and overcoming those right. that heavily plays into this, but still, uh, well, how are you going to have a sci-fi movie without UFOs? I guess is, is the thing here. Well, right. And, and you know, that is also, a, yeah. a, I mean, yes. even, yeah. even the first man in space was, uh, <laughs> he gets turned into a radiation monster. Right. So it's like, right. you know, they're, they're playing on the tropes that they have to play with. And we have we have come away where we're rejecting some of those tropes, but the Martian is a Robinson Crusoe story, right? It's it's right. scratch it, it is its main indication is scratching that same itch, and its and its main storyline is still human colonization of Mars, and the subjugation of uh, of resources at the very least. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to make some sort of argument that a pristine Mars has a uh, moral right to exist, but <laughs> You're not, but the person who wrote Red, Red Mar or was it called? Uh, I mean, but there there are movies, yeah. there are stories that that where that argument is presented. Yeah, uh, but that that one is harder to make, right? Like, I mean, we we can talk about it, like, but like, there's one of the things the movie chooses to do is to have our our enslaved person be exactly human. Yes, like there's no, they don't make him alien even a little bit, right? Which is a which is kind of I think a weirdly backward step in in this I mean like or they're trying to I don't know like it, it's a weird situation because I'm like it's definitely a choice yeah that somebody made and I don't know what their goal was I don't know if they were trying to be more or less progressive with that choice because I could see arguments for both um, that if you're trying to make a commentary on society. Yeah, choosing not to make that person an alien is right. is a choice to make a commentary. And I think it's also, but it could also be a choice you're making because you are lazy. Uh, it is, or it could be a choice to make. You know, go ahead. It is a choice to have that character's language use uh, phonemes that make it sound like a South American language. If it's anything, yes, that is right. definitely a choice that was made for yeah. sure. Yeah. It is. It is something. Well, it's got and, a lot of quas and zzz noises that make it sound like something Mayan or, uh, yeah. 
so it's it's and that's an act of choice too right and these are right. these are ideas that you know plenty of people you know i've already mentioned rocky plenty of people i'm sure watch rocky without thinking that is about a uh, uh a now culturally considered white american uh putting an uppity black man back in his place right yeah, I'm I'm definitely guilty of watching that movie and not thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, I have thought about it and I have also watched it without thinking about yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. I am guilty of both directions of that. But still, in watching a narrative like that, it unconsciously reinforces those cultural ideas, even if you're not actively engaging with those cultural right. ideas. So this is this movie is unconsciously reinforcing ideas in the mind of its audience about. Uh, the white man's ability to overcome adversity and uh <laughs> and the the lesser humanization of uh other races right for here alien races uh and eventually yeah he he treats him more like a human uh and we get to discover that uh that uh friday's culture itself has some amount of religion even you know uh, there is there is art behind Friday's world, um, well, which is its own. Pro- I mean, it's its own for me. Like very upsetting, this, like decision to be made in the movie. Oh well, now like right. I can really now, see him as being right, like nearly right. human. Now that now I know he has a sense of God. Yeah. it's like oh come right, on, right. And that's <laughs> that's that's like the argument. Come the fuck on, please. Well, uh, that uh, that short film we watched about the deaf school a while back. You know, that's that same right. sort of argument that that they can't right. Yeah, they can't well, they can be speak, fully be can... human until they have a concept of religion, uh, and it's it's you know, yeah, it's they it's are deeply they upsetting, are but... they are deeply upsetting ideas. But once we've encountered and ones that were mainstream ideas, yeah, totally not new. Yeah. Uh, even within your field of study, for many de- yes, absolutely, many years, totally, yeah, <laughs> yes, um, and 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 you still see the lingering sort of that nastiness still pops up from time it, like it's not even remotely dead um but like i don't know like it the the reason i want i brought that up is cuz a problem we run into with a, another version of this is when you take out you decide to use sort of something other as an allegory for a problem on earth and you swap it out, right? Where, for example, right. like, you know, look at the X Men, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. I want to. But this, I, this isn't trying to be allegorical to Earth problems. No, I. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know that it's trying necessarily on purpose. Right. Right. But like, I think somewhere, it it sort of accidentally, drunkenly stumbled into that alleyway. Yeah. Of course. And here it is now. Of course. And again, getting um, back to the original Robinson Crusoe, and and other things I've already I've already said. Robinson Crusoe isn't actively necessarily being written from a perspective that wants to make an argument that white Europeans deserve to lord over all the rest of humanity, but is definitely culturally reinforcing that idea whether or not it is actively trying to. Right. And that's a similar right. thing. I mean, I would say probably movie. something like Robinson Crusoe is actually making that active argument. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like Robinson Crusoe being specifically a, a bad example yeah. of people doing that. Right. Not being a good example of people doing Continu- that. On continued variations of that. And I don't I don't know that Sylvester Stallone was purposely doing that when he wrote Rocky. Right. 
but he is he is at least culturally accidentally doing right. it, unconsciously doing yeah. it, right? Uh, and ultimately, that, and there's that's no difference true, yeah. in the end, right? In well, the, there's, I I would you know we get into a debate about like intention and stuff like that. I I do think there is no difference in the outcome, right? That is definitely true. That's and what, that, I and from say. a pragmatic standpoint, yes, there is no difference. I would argue doing it on accident is somehow morally less <laughs> bad. Like not a lot because your your effect is still the same, but nonetheless, doing would... it on accident. If you, uh, upon self reflection, realize your mistake and actively right, and that, actively right. move to distance yourself from that mistake, which I guess also theoretically Stallone has done in the continued existence of I I would I, yeah I mean the, uh, I don't know a lot about Sylvester Stallone, but, but I get. Yeah, that that is probably yeah. true. I would, although I I've ne- I've never seen that version. I've never seen Crete, so I don't yeah. know. I can't judge it yet because I've never seen it. I'd somehow I avoided watching it on an airplane, which is its own shocking thing to hear. <laughs> that I managed to not watch that on an airplane. Yes, uh, <laughs> I've never watched Creed even on an airplane, so. So there's well, no, I've yeah, I haven't watched it on an airplane or in person. Yeah. I've I've never seen it, so I that's why I'm not super comfortable commenting yeah. on it because I don't right. know. I don't. If know. It, I, I can't. I can't say for yeah. certain where yeah, where know. Stallone's life has taken him, but um, but yeah, I think it's also also an aspect of that. Hey, this is that thing you're familiar with, but but different uh, marketing ploys that we've already. Yeah, talked I'm, about. I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, another aspect of this movie's legacy is that there have been two different songs inspired by and named after Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Two, you say? Two, I say. One by uh, Johnny Symbol, uh, who is, uh, he wrote uh, Mr. Baseman, I think is his most popular song. I'm not really familiar I have with his work no at all. Idea Teenage what Heaven. Uh, Mary in the Morning. Um, nope. Uh, and that's, you know, that was like a 60s thing, um, probably around the time okay. was his version. Uh, but then uh, the the one the one for which Criterion Collection produced a music video uh, for is the rad. release with the DVD is written. Pretty great. Written and performed by Victor London, the actor who played Friday. <laughs> um, Yes, yes, it is. And it's like a minute and a half longer than it should be. <laughs> it is. It is as much William Shatner as anything could be. Yes. Without actually featuring William Shatner. Now, speaking of which, London, uh, big in the sci-fi scene, uh, continued to be in a lot of sci-fi films and actually played the very first Klingon ever seen on the original Star Trek show. That's interesting to learn. Yeah. Wow, fascinating. Uh, by by a matter of like seconds, because I believe he was an extra in the scene, but he happened to enter as the entourage of the speaking Klingon. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but still, that's a claim to fame. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take a lot to to do the sci-fi circuit. You know. Yeah. The the con circuit. So good enough. Yeah. So he uh, he was surviving on the con circuit for a for a long long time. I believe he's st- no. I mean, he died in two thousand thirteen. But yeah. But I I would say that like this is 
this is this is a fun one to have in your repertoire oh, if yeah. you're gonna try to do that, yeah. right? Like the song is a like, rid- this is ridiculous song that really just recaps the plot of the movie. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Well, it recaps the plot with some extra like family things, which is really like this sort of blending family life with this. Yeah. Which was fascinating. Well, there is the implication of uh, Adam West's character's left behind family. Because when he when he finds the body, he takes off right. the helmet and finds the mementos within it. Um, so there's that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a mu- it's it's music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> I. Pro- yeah, it exists as music. Um, yes, can't, I, just can't, the fact, I can't argue with it. The fact that, that the Criterion Collection made the music video, I know, is my kind of amazing. Thing. Honestly, uh, this the Criterion Collection never ceases to bewilder me in what it will do. Oh, I know it's the cri- like what we've chosen to do, Adam, is revealing to me. There's there's a a world in which there are people doing things that are wholly incomprehensible yeah. to me. They're like cuz the Criterion Collection is ceaselessly baffling on really in on every level. Yeah. It's like we've talked about how we don't understand how they choose their movies. Like how do they choose to do that? <laughs> like what happened like i want a documentary about that choice is what i want right now yeah i want to know how this happened like and and i feel like they're failing us that i don't know honestly like i don't i don't i don't understand like how this could ever come to pass yeah I'm sad. I wish I do. I wish I knew. <laughs> like I really wish somebody. If I ever like find myself in a position where somebody's like, "What do you want to make a documentary about, Pat?" I might answer. I want to know how the Criterion Collection decided to make this, or maybe just how the Criterion Collection makes any decisions at all. Sounds like a winning topic too. Yeah. What do those board meetings look like? <laughs> is it just Martin Sorosese just time traveling into the boardroom from nowhere and be like <laughs> jumping in like and out hair askew Doc Brown style being like Marty come <laughs> to the past I brought you this movie Martin Scorsese knows enough to avoid contact with himself but every meeting right, is at least six different Martin Scorsese's in and out on opposite sides <laughs> yeah. of the room Yep, yep. It's all Martin Scorsese's all the way down. And he's like, I found this on a bus. <laughs> and then the other one would be like, I put it on the bus. <laughs> oh. Pat, uh, I am surprised to have learned that since 2015's The Martian, there have been three other movies on Wikipedia's list of movies set on Mars that have come out. I've definitely seen the the cover for at least one yeah uh starship starship troopers traitor of mars is uh part oh part of the uh computer animated series of starship trooper films 
that theoretically take place in the Starship Troopers movie uh, universe, uh, not necessarily the uh, universe of Highland's original novels. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like honestly, that the the spinoff of those novels is, I mean. It's just kind of yeah. wow. I I I'm. It never ceases to amaze me how deep that universe has both gotten and how little it has anything to do with those novels. Yeah, which are or that novel, which is you know bad. Uh, the space between us is a 2017 American romantic science fiction film. Oh, I've heard of this movie. I've not seen it. Yeah. but I've heard of starring it. Gary Oldman, Asa Butterfield, Britt Robertson, and Carla uh, Gugino about a teenage boy who is born on Mars who travels back to Earth uh, for the first time, apparently. Uh, and that one bombed. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely seen it, though, out there because it's, yeah. it, you know, you're like when you're hunting for your old uh, sci-fi movies yeah. to watch. That is a movie that definitely only got greenlit because of The Martian, almost certainly, uh, because it was yeah, it had been uh, Universal uh, bought the screenplay in 1999, and did not make the movie oh, until no. 2017. This has been sitting on a shelf. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then uh, in 2018, uh, we have 2036 Origin Unknown, a British sci-fi film uh, directed by Hasraf uh, Dulul, which seems like a 2001 ripoff, as near as I can tell. Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, it is... About uh, it follows Mackenzie Wilson, uh, who's played by Katie Sackhoff, uh, and her artificial intelligence, Artie, uh, as they discover a mysterious object on Mars and witness it transporting to Earth by faster than light travel. Uh, hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sounds. I've definitely seen that movie before. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen that movie like four different times. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So so for now, and of course, we have our own film project in pre-production where uh, Elon Musk's first, uh, first Mars colony is attacked by a now sentient uh, and deranged uh, curiosity seeking its own revenge. Um, well, with the, with the help of the... Of the car that got launched. Yes, with the help of the, co- of the space car. Um, almost certainly. Out for revenge, you know. Uh, but yeah, Mars Mars re- continues to be, I think just because it's close and we theoretically might be able to do something with it. Uh, Mars continues to be in the popular consciousness. Like, like crash into it, apparently. <laughs> yeah. We're barely going to listen. Okay. I really like how human beings have set a real solid goal for Mars interaction, which yeah. is we're going to definitely crash into part this of, fucker eventually. Part of Ad Astra actually takes place on Mars, too, in a Mars colony. I forgot about that. I'm not super surprised. Yeah. I have not seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm waiting to watch the, the, the Space Daddy Doesn't Love Me movie. <laughs> Probably on an airplane. Uh, Ad Astra's Mars colony is actually one of its most compelling bits because the Mars colony is, is clearly the forgotten child of humanity. Uh, there's wild dogs wandering the Mars colony. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, or at least at least uh, abandoned dogs, not necessarily wild. They don't fight the dogs, so there's that. But 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, I'm all, I'm always a fan of movies where they don't fight the dogs. <laughs> right, right. Those are personally, personally. <laughs> those are the better movies. Um, but yeah, Robinson Crusoe on Mars is uh, an interesting movie. I think the movie is more interesting yeah. for for the fact that there is only one type of plant life on Mars and no animals. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 evolutionary path of whatever life is on Mars is wild yeah. and confusing. Yeah. Um but also But it's like a really sophisticated plant life. It's not like yeah. just plankton or something. It's like or like not just like uh like moss or something. It's it's really sophisticated. Right. It's like got berries, but like what why would you make fruit unless it's to be consumed by something that can like yeah. then shit them out later? Right. I don't know. But also the fruit have a hard casing and inside is pepperoni. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. It's amazing. It's like, I and then like he just, and I guess it gets you high when you eat it with cooked. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> like, I I kind of, like, I'm I'm hoping that's a part of future Mars. I, I can honestly say I hope that if we do go to Mars and live there, we get psychedelic. We get ayahuasca sausage, sausage fruit. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, man, I think we could probably just make ayahuasca sausage if we wanted. <laughs> I uh, mean, you definitely could. Yeah. I'm just saying I want it to naturally occur in the world. <laughs> it would be good. It would be good. Um, <laughs> uh, my other my other favorite aspect of this film um, that I, I don't know if there's a connection for or not, uh, Adam West's character is uh, named McCready. Which is mm-hmm. the main character in the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing yes, is yeah. also named McCready. Um, I believe uh, the McCready of Carpenter's film has a, is a Mac Creedy, whereas this is Mick Creedy or Mick Reedy rather. Oh. There's no there's no extra C, but in either. Um, but yeah, that seems like it's probably a reference, um, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like that would be that sounds like something that would be true. I also don't know the name of the the comparable character in the thing from another world. So, uh, maybe, maybe it's a more direct reference than I know. Uh, it does not, there does not appear to be a McCready in the thing from another world. So anyway, uh, yeah, this, uh, I don't even know if there's a fun movie is the real problem here. No, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. I mean, I watched it with my children, uh, mainly because I waited until like seven o'clock tonight to watch it. Yeah, uh, and I didn't want to sit in my office by myself watching this while my family was awake. Yeah, um, and so we watched it together, and they were unimpressed. Yeah, there's not enough going on to keep a child's interest. I think because a lot of it yeah, is mean, like, about the nature of loneliness. Right. Right. John was able to commit to it because. Uh, you know, we did like you know, that sort of like wandering around the world, like doing stuff, sort of story does appeal to like a child, yeah. like where he a little bit older child where he like goes and like, but even my son had a lot of problems with like because like when you think about these sort of survival movies, what you're you know where you, where the person like finds a way to like get food and water, what you're actually imagining in those environments is a movie about like a person like discovering how to make this thing happen or make that thing happen like uh you know oh well but like this one is just he he only learns to breathe by pure happenstance and a lot of that kind of stuff which is like even less rewarding in a movie 
honestly, when he's like, "Oh, I fell down and I discovered air." Yeah. Well, the whole like, the whole atmosphere. anything. The atmospherical aspect of this film is is one of its most bewildering things, right? He, there's enough oxygen in the air naturally that he can breathe for twelve minutes, but no longer. Um, yeah. No. And and my son was like legit confused yeah because like it just he's like like which just makes it bad like even if your goal is to appeal to like little you know not little kids but young boys who are like out to watch an events adventure movie like you're not even doing a good one of those right now yeah and that that's its own sort of like disappointing thing right and that's that's a thing about this movie is that uh, it was actually fairly well reviewed, uh, but it did not click with an audience. Uh, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I really do. I really do think the effects are done well. Um, yeah. And the uh, however they do the the sh- the American ship in space looks cool. To the point where... Yeah, when it zips by. Yeah. yeah. To the point where uh, my roommate watched this with me and asked if I thought that the version of this we were watching had been digitally altered in the way old Star Trek episodes are. Uh, right. And yeah. apparently I, it had not. Um, right. Yeah, it didn't... I didn't think it had been. Yeah. Uh, but I was surprised because I've gotten so used to, like, that sort of effect being so, so poorly done. Yeah. In old movies that it's like it was it was legit shocking yeah the uh the martian ships are sort of animated in a way to suggest that they are moving faster uh in in a way to emulate reports of ufos at the time yeah um, and they do not look as good <laughs> yeah it is not as effective yeah. uh just visually yeah um but yeah it's it's definitely an interesting movie coming to us from the Criterion Collection, as as most nineteen hmm. fifties and sixties <laughs> horror yeah, sci fi the Criterion Collection us, yeah. decides to show us are. Uh, it is fascinating that it exists, and it's fascinating that something they've decided to serve us up in the middle of <laughs> yeah. a lot of other things. Um, yeah, but but again, you know the the political aspects of the film subtle in that they are in that. Uh, and and you know this is true of uh, fiend without a face and the first man in space too of uh, the the inherent politics of the movie the just the assumed politics of uh, the directors making the movie and the people writing the movie that that they put this into the film because that's the only world they can imagine. Uh, right is kind of an interesting aspect too uh, yeah it, it is it is it's just one of those things where like it that's that is kind of a depressing thing to think about though yeah. at the same time yeah it's like oh this i mean this is this is the future and it's like oh right i see yeah but i think it's uh it's probably time we can stop talking about this yes <laughs> so we've been so. talking about robinson crusoe on mars from 1964 uh, directed by uh, uh, Byron Haskin, who also directed The War of the Worlds from 53, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, one more thing. Uh, Paul Manti, the star of this film, was picked yes. 
because he kind of looks like Alan Shepard. That's why they oh, cast him. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. As much sense as anything else. Right. Anyway, next week we'll be talking about another GW Past film, uh, his adaptation of the Three Penny Opera from 1931. Uh, yeah, past past musicals are are fun. So um, yeah, uh, apparently this is a very uh, loose adaptation of uh, the 1928. Uh, uh, version of the three penny opera which i guess is is the original is how old is the three penny opera i don't actually know i don't i cannot answer that question yeah brecht brecht yeah yeah three penny opera was new at the time of this movie basically this is probably the first film adaptation brecht uh it was released in 28 so yeah um yeah that'll be it'll be fun yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it should certainly be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So look forward to that and look forward to the uh, always confusing nature of what Criterion sends at us down the line. <laughs> yeah. Why, why does Criterion, answering, constantly answering the question or trying to, why does Criterion hate us? <laughs> Indeed. Thank you very much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oetari Dorgan. And we'll see you next week. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Gorgon and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. We'd appreciate it.